We're starting in verse 13. It says that someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to all of them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And, and he thought to himself, What should I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build larger ones. And there I will store all my grains and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to this man, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things that you prepare, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Let's pray. Father, we pray today that you would speak through your word. Your meaning as we dig into this word would be clearly seen, Father. Help, help us to see things as you see them and as you want us to see them. We thank you, Father, for your word. So as we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, well, I, I kind of want to set the scene for you here. Let's go back to uh, first century Jerusalem. Here we are. Jesus is talking to the crowds, right? He's teaching them. And the Pharisees invite him over for dinner. They say, hey, Jesus, come, come have dinner with us. Come eat with us. And so like any good house guest, Jesus doesn't wash his hands, right? And of course, to the Jewish world, that's quite an astonishing thing. Jesus isn't washing his hands. What's going on? And then he continues to tell them about their hypocrisy and call them fools. Right? Well, naturally, the Pharisees, they didn't like this much. Uh, so they keep asking Jesus questions. They keep pushing him, trying to get him to trip up so that they can condemn Jesus before the crowds. Right? Right now, the crowds, they love Jesus. They love who he is. They love what he says. The Pharisees are trying to trip him up. So that they can condemn him before the crowns. Well, Jesus is teaching. Uh, he teaches and he says, beware of the Pharisees, right? They, they clean the outside, yet they're filthy on the inside. He says, don't fear those that can kill you here on earth. Fear God, right? He says, acknowledge me before men, and I will acknowledge you before my Father. And in the midst of this teaching of the crowd, there's a man that speaks up. And he says, hey, Jesus, teacher, my brother... He's not sharing the inheritance with me as he should. Tell him to share my half of the inheritance. I mean, you're a judge, right? Tell him to share what's rightfully mine. Obviously, this man had some sense of right. right? You know, like, I deserve at least half of this inheritance. Well, Jesus responds in a way that he always responds, by getting to the heart of the matter here. At first, I want you to notice that he responds to the man who spoke up. He responds to that man, and he says, Who am I? Am I your arbiter? Am I your probate judge? Who made me the person over you to judge this situation? And, you know, I can kind of relate to this. A few weeks ago, my grandmother passed away, and it's amazing how people change when there's a lot of money in an inheritance. 
right? Just seeing them, how they, no, no, I've got to get this much. And it's amazing how people change. And I've heard of incredible horror stories of families that are just completely broken when it comes to inheritance. And so I can kind of see from this man's perspective, he's saying, I should get half of, of what, I, what I owe, what's due to me from my, from my parents as they pass away. And of course, the other brother sees it from a different perspective. Right? Maybe he's the older brother, and he's thinking, you know, I, I deserve all of the inheritance, right? I'm the oldest, and so you're lucky just to get a little bit. Right? I can almost see this conversation going down. But then Jesus, after he talks to the one, he says, Who made me an arbiter over you? He talks to all of the crowds, including the older brother. And he says this. He says, Take care. Be diligent. Be on your guard against all kinds of covetousness. Right? Be on your guard against coveting. Because your life, it's not made up of how much you possess, of how many material things you can surround yourself with. Right? That's not what your life is made up of. That's not what gives you worth. So take care. Be diligent. Guard yourself against all kinds of covetousness. You see, Jesus here is trying to give them a new perspective. Their perspective is on the right now. I've got to have this money in order to provide, in order to build a house, in order to, to take care of everything I need right now. And Jesus is saying, no, there's, there's a much greater perspective that you need to have of this life. And this life is just a vapor. It's fleeting. You need to see things from my perspective, from an eternal perspective. And so... Jesus tells this story. As he did often, he told parables so that people could memorize the truths that he was teaching. And so he tells this parable. He says, you know, there was a rich man. He had really good fields. You know, the crop just kept coming in abundance more and more and more. And he had barns where he stored these crops. And he thought, I've just got too much crop. What am I going to do? Where am I going to put it? What am I going to do with all this? He says, ah, I've got it. I've got it. I will tear down the barns that I have. Right? And think about that from a first century perspective. Barns, plural. And this man already has it pretty well together. I'm going to tear down the barns that I have and build bigger ones so I can store all of my crop. And then I will save my soul. Soul. You have done very well. You've done well. You've stored up all this crop. You know what you can do? You can relax. You can eat and drink. And just be married, right? Because that's what life's about. Just relax and be married. And what does God say to this man? He says, you fool. You fool. Tonight, you're going to die, and who's going to get your inheritance? Who's going to get all this? Tonight, you're going to die. And he's bringing this up to the men who ask about the inheritance, right? He's saying, no, wait. Someone just died. Think of it from their perspective. They're now dead, right? Are you trying to store up all this for you here on earth? What's that going to gain you? And then Jesus comments on this parable. He says, this is what it's like to be one who stores up treasure for yourself here and is not rich towards God. This is what it's like to store up treasure here and not be rich towards God. You know, I think Jesus is subtly asking the brothers a similar question to what the Spice Girls once asked. So... Tell me what you want, what you really, really want. Right? Don't take the song the rest of the way. It doesn't fit. But that much does. 
that much right there. That's, I mean, what do you really, really want in life? What is the goal of life? It's the goal of life to simply retire at the youngest age possible so that you can enjoy the rest of your non-working life. Right? That's almost what's happening in this parable as we look at the rich man. That's, that's his goal, right? I need to retire. I need to set myself so I can be as young as possible and not have to work. Right? And then I can just enjoy the rest of my life here on earth. Again, Jesus is challenging the perspective of these people. He's not saying that we shouldn't be wise with our money. Right? He's not saying that. Um, he, he's made us stewards of the money, just as he's made us stewards of this earth, right? None of it's ours, like we talked about last week. None of it's ours, yet he allows us to steward it as a means of training. This, this is our training ground. You are in training right now. I am in training right now on this earth. We're in training for eternity. We're in training to reign with Christ. So how's your training going? How is your training going? This is what God points out to the rich fool. He says, your focus is so limited, it's so temporal. And and you are a fool because your focus on eating and drinking and being happy when the purpose of this training ground is to prepare you to reign with Christ, to shed selfishness and self-reliance and laziness and idolatry and lust and covetousness and shallow-minded complacency. How is your training going? Does your eternal perspective, does it shape your day-to-day decisions? This is the perspective that Jesus is trying to get us to see. That eternity weighs in on all of our decisions. Particularly, in this case, when it comes to money. He says, are you rich towards God? Well, I want to take a moment and kind of try to widen our perspective, or if you've had this perspective, to again help us to look at it afresh, anew, and kind of widen our perspective of offerings and sacrificial giving. When you think of offerings and sacrificial giving, especially in the Old Testament, what do you think of? When you think of probably offerings, a lot of us think of like grain offerings, right? Or sin offerings. So they would bring 10% of their grain to the temple and, uh, and offer it to the Lord. <coughs> or sacrifices, I don't know about you, but initially what I think of is a lamb, right? A spotless lamb. In the Old Testament, that's brought and killed to atone for sins. That's the kind of sacrifices that we see in the Old Testament. And these sacrifices are within the covenant of Moses. Right? So, it could be said, well, that's in the covenant of Moses. We're not under that covenant. Right? So, we don't have to do that. And that's true. We don't bring lambs. We don't bring our grain. Right? Necessarily. So, it could be said, well, that's in the covenant of Moses. We're not really obligated. Right to do that. That's not really a part of our worship. But where where do we see the first sacrifice happen in the, in the Bible? Where does the first sacrifice happen? Anybody? Where's that? Adam and Eve. Exactly, Adam and Eve. Right? They have to sacrifice an animal in order to cover their shame. So we see this even from the very beginning. Offerings or sacrifices are a part of our relationship with God. They're a part of our worship. And we see right after that, in Genesis chapter 4, right after Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, they're born in verse 1. And by verse 3, they're already bringing up the concept of 
offerings and sacrifices, right? Abel, and Abel is over the livestock, and so he brings the firstborn of the livestock. And Cain is over the fields, and so he brings the grain. And so even from the very beginning, the sons of Adam, son of Adam and Eve, we see here that offering is a regular part of relationship with God. We see it with Noah when he gets off the boat, right? We see it with Abraham where he's even called to sacrifice his own son. All these pictures towards the New Testament. But offerings and sacrificial giving have always been a part of our relationship with God. They've always been a part of worship of God. And this is why it was so shocking when the writer of Hebrews wrote this in Hebrews chapter 10, 4 through 10. He said, for it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Consequently, when Christ came to the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me in burnt offerings and sin offerings. You have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written for me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law of Moses. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by this, we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So, so don't misunderstand this passage to mean that offerings and sacrificial giving are no longer a part of worship. Right? They're no longer required for the atonement of sin. Only the blood of Christ can atone for sin. But they're very much a part of worship. As we think of Jesus, he's talking in Luke chapter 9, and he says, not just 10%, right? He says, give everything. We, we die to self completely, 100% now in the New Testament, we see. We die to self completely, and we live to Christ. We see this also as Paul is thinking about Old Testament sacrifices. He's talking about, well, now Christ, his blood covers all of that. So what are we to do? If Christ has done it all, do we, do we just do nothing? No, in Romans chapter 12, he says, now true spiritual worship is to be a living sacrifice, right? Our, our entire lives are to be a sacrifice and worship to God. So again, in relationship with God, offerings and sacrifices are very important. That's why we still have our offerings as a part of the service as we give, we are faithfully responding to what God has done. Uh, as we talk about 10% and the whole concept of, of tithing, it's something we don't really see in the New Testament. Like I said, in the Old Testament, we see this 10% and New Testament is really 100%, right? Everything. Now, it doesn't mean that you get your whole paycheck and you come and bring it here or your, your house. or It doesn't mean that you bring it all to the church, Right? But it's all used. All the decisions are made in a way that honors God, that honors Christ. Now, I believe that 10% is a good rule, a good rule of thumb. But the concept that we see more brought over into the New Testament from the Old Testament is that we bring the first fruits of what we have. We bring the first fruits. And, you know, some of you may be like freaking out thinking, oh man, we're having this sermon series on tithing. And wow, I haven't given it, oh, 10 years ago. There's no way I'm going to catch up. <laughs> Don't worry about catching up, right? We talked about this last week. God doesn't need your money. 
God wants your faithfulness. Right? So start with your next check. Right? Plan it out. Budget it out. Say, the first place I'm going to spend what I earn here, the first place where I'm going to spend it is going to be an offering of the first fruits of what I earn. To say, thank you, Lord, for providing for everything that I have. Right? It really is a sacrifice. It really is. And it's a part of worship, and it's always been a part of worship for people over the last 6,000 years. Always been a part of worship for people in relationship with God. Well, he finishes this little section by saying that we should be rich toward God. Right? We should be rich toward God. And there's a lot in the New Testament about rich people. Right? There's a lot of cautions in the New Testament about being rich. And he's not saying that money is evil, but he cautions us against loving money. Because wealth brings with it the seductive tendencies towards complacency and self-sufficiency and covetousness. That's what money brings with it, those temptations. And this is the repeated story of the Israelites as we look at Nehemiah 9. Right? We read a little bit of it last week. Nehemiah 9, they're looking back over their history as they rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. They're saying, God, you provided in so many ways, and then we really enjoyed it and decided we didn't need you. We had all we ever needed, and then we turned away and did our own little things, and then you were gracious, right? And you brought us back. You brought us back graciously. You humbled us and brought us back, right? And they did it again. You see the spiral over and over and over as you read through Nehemiah 9 and look at the history of the Israelites. And we, we are no different. That's why he cautions us in the New Testament against being rich. Not because being rich is bad, but because it comes with a particular set of temptations. Um, I was just curious uh, as far as how rich we really are. You know, just being in Kenya and seeing... A lot of true poverty. Um, it kind of it does help your perspective a little bit, and so I was trying to think how can I kind of show that in some way. I, I don't know about you, but a lot of times I would think, "Wow, I'm, I'm a rich person." You know, as we think of this New Testament a warning against being rich. And so I just quickly got online and looked up, and there's this site. I was actually going to pull it up and think I have enough time to do that. There's a site you can go to, and it gives you to date, you put in your annual salary, it'll tell you what percentage of rich you are in comparison to the world. Right? So I just kind of took middle class, uh, the, the largest scope of middle class that I could find as far as in the U.S. was from 25000 a year to 100000 a year. Right, so I just took the very bottom of that. $25,000 a year. So if you make $25,000 a year, you put that in this little site and it'll, it'll click up and say, you are in the top 2% of the wealthiest people in the world. Top 2%. 98% of the world is poorer than you are. Um, you, you jump that up to 33000 a year and you, you get in the top 1%. Of the wealthiest people in the world. And so as we look at things from Jesus' perspective, we say, yeah, wow. I have these temptations. I am rich. I am completely provided for. I can go get a meal whenever I want a meal. I don't have to pray in order for God to provide a meal. Right? 
And so these temptations are very much before us. Complacency, self-sufficiency, and covetousness. And so this same perspective shift that Jesus is giving to the brothers, I believe he gives to us as well. So what is your perspective? Do you have the perspective of the man in the crowd who doesn't have that much and says, Jesus, tell my brother to give me half, give me what I owe, give me what I'm due out of this inheritance. Do you have the perspective of his older brother who's gotten a good bit of this inheritance? Are you looking to store up your treasures here so that one day you can sit back and do nothing, eat and drink and just be happy? Or are you eternally focused? A good athlete training yourself to be rich towards the things of God. Are you a good athlete? The, the answer to these questions is your choices, right? The answer to these questions are the choices that you make. Let us pray as we think about this perspective that Jesus gives us. And as we think about sacrificially giving, not just money, but all of our lives, all of the decisions that we make from an eternal perspective and not a temporal perspective. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word again, even the difficult passages that really dig into what we love, to what we trust in completely. Father, we pray that you would help us to see things from your perspective. Help us to see things as Jesus is trying to communicate it here and saying... You're in training. You're in training to reign over the universe with Christ. You're in training to reign over the universe with me. Train well. Don't love the things of this world. Father, help us to see from your perspective. We pray all this in the powerful name of Christ. Amen.